Man, just when you think you know every trick Sophia has in her, in her tool belt, she pulls out a whistle. All right. Well, I am so glad we did that song today. I remember hearing that song for the very first time. Uh, two springs ago, my entire family and I were sitting in our car, uh, waiting in a line of cars to all get tested for COVID. Uh, and that song came on the radio, and we were all talking, and I heard the beginning, I heard the first few words, and I, I was like, shush, shush, shush. I shushed everyone, and uh, I, I rewound the song, and I went back and made us all listen to it in its entirety, and then I made us all listen to it a second time, and my family was so sick of me and my newfound, uh, relatively newfound love for country music, but uh, uh, our family was like, enough of this, but I loved Same Boat, and that has been on my playlist since then. Um, and I don't own a boat. I don't even want to. Uh, I don't like fishing, I'll be honest with you. Uh, very little of that imagery is relevant to my everyday life, but some of those lines resonate with something I've been feeling for a very long time. Like, we can all believe what we believe and peacefully agree to disagree. You've heard me talk about that here at Crosswinds many times. Or you can't judge a man until you walk a country mile in his shoes. That's a great line. Or... We all wonder where the time goes, and we all wonder where our money goes, and we all wish on the same stars, and we all hope, and I would tell you, if everybody in the world could believe those lines, I, I think we'd live in a much happier, safer, healthier planet. But the truth is, uh, there's a different line from that song that feels far closer to our reality. If the ship keeps rocking, we'll all go overboard. And I know, I know from talking to many of you, that feels real. We're going to talk about that today. Because today, we're going to look at the second thing that is true in this world because you are so loved. And it has everything to do with being in the same boat. Now, last week, I put a depth chart up on the screen behind me, said, how deep is your love? If you were here last week, you might remember this, and we measured how deep our love is for many things in this world, from pizza to beaches, from uh, things with fur to towels and blankets that come straight out of the dryer. Uh, if you're going to talk about love, it's worth talking about the depth of love because it differs, right? And that's why we did that, so that we could understand that the love you have for pizza is different than God's love for you. Um, I'll tell you, I had someone come up to me afterwards and say, I have been in church my whole life. I did not understand that God so loved me. Never heard that till today. So good. I'm glad we use the depth chart. It helps us see love, so loved, is different than, than the rest. It is deeper. It is the ultimate. It is off the chart love. Well, I want to create kind of a different chart today. And instead of measuring depth, I want to try and measure width with you. Now, when we talk about extremes, we can talk about something being deeply something, but we can also talk about it being widely something. But where wide is a little bit different, wide tends to talk about variety, right? So uh, let's, let's go back to last week. Um, I may have a deep love for pizza. In fact, do me this favor. Would you turn to somebody next to you and just tell them what your favorite type of pizza is? Just take two seconds and do this. Even if it's a stranger, what is your favorite type of pizza? For those of you with celiac disease, gluten-free does not count. All right. Now, 
I may have a deep love for pizza. That means uh, I, I like all sorts of pizza. I like deep dish, stuffed crust, thin crust, New York, wood-fired pizza, brick oven pizza, uh, even frozen tombstone pizza, you guys. Uh, that is deep love, but I don't only love pizza, right? I also love bagel bites. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, I love Chinese food, and I love seafood, and I love a good steak, and I love a great burger, and I love breakfast food. I love all sorts of breakfast food, from bacon and eggs to French crepes, and I love how this is probably making you hungry right now. What I don't love is sushi. Probably never gonna love sushi, but, but, but I'm sorry for those of you who love sushi. But, but uh, not only is my love for one thing really deep, my love for many things is wide. And where that matters is we try to understand so loved is that phrase so loved does not just mean that God loves you deeply, although he does. It means he loves you widely. We're gonna talk about that today. It means God loves you wide. Um, Ephesians 3.17 says this, this is so good, and I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how, would you read this part with me, how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. May you have the power to grasp how wide God's love is. Last week, I hope you grasped how deep, today I hope you grasp how wide. Uh, maybe someday we'll get to long and high. Now, in order to understand how wide, we need to do another chart. And this is gonna seem a little bit messed up, but rather than a chart of the things that we love this week, I wanna start with a chart of things we hate. Now, let me just say off the bat, this chart is not gonna end in God hating you, God so loves you, we established that. And this chart's not gonna be about people. This chart is gonna be about things that we hate. In fact, I wanna just take a second and recognize the wide variety of things that are universally hated by all of us, I think. So, like, pistachios that do not open. All right, can we agree, life is too short to spend time breaking your fingernails trying to open up a pistachio that is too tight? Uh, or another one, um, season finales from television shows that end with to be continued. <laughs> like TV producers, I don't know why you think that 40 weeks from now, when you come back with the next season of Yellowstone, I'm gonna remember what happened on that last episode. Just give me closure now and start a new story next season. Or uh, another thing I think we hate, um, the one sock problem. Has everyone had the one sock problem? I don't even have to explain this one. You all know what that is. Uh, or another one, um, uh, one-ply toilet paper. Not gonna explain that one either, but we hate it. <laughs> or when you bite into a piece of chicken and there's a weird hard bit inside of it. That's gross and we hate it. Or alarm clocks. Is there anyone who loves alarm clocks? No. Uh, or when your computer says you have Wi-Fi, but the browser says that you have no internet connection. <laughs> or last one, clowns. <laughs> you know, it's funny, at the, outdoor <laughs> at the outdoor service, I said this, and I saw a few people look at each other and just go, like, they, like one of them's a clown maybe for a, a living. <laughs> I felt terrible about this. I thought we all hate clowns. I thought we can, we agree to disagree on a lot around crosswinds. I thought we can agree we don't like clowns. All right, well. It seems weird that we would spend so much time talking about the things we hate in a series called So Loved, but, but what I will tell you now, the second instance of the phrase so loved in the Bible, it only appears twice, the first one we looked at last week, the second appearance has more to do with hate than you might think. 
Um, I was reading an article last week written by a, a philosophy professor in Pennsylvania, and, and he wrote about a colleague of his who had put a sign in her yard that said, hate has no home here. Maybe you've seen signs like that. Uh, it'll say this phrase in English, and then usually under it, it will say again, uh, translated, uh, the same thing, but translated into uh, Arabic, Hebrew, Spanish, Korean, whatever. Uh, I'm sure you've seen these signs around. Maybe even some of you have one of these. And, and he wrote in the article that he didn't think much about the sign until his colleague got some hate mail from a neighbor for having the sign up. And as a philosophy professor who, who, who teaches logic, it was fascinating to him that you could get hate mail for not hating. And so uh, he set out to understand why this person would be so offended and send this mail. And here's what he figured out. The woman who sent it, her argument was that her neighbor putting up a hate has no home here sign didn't just say that she does not hate people of other cultures or who speak other languages or belong to other religions, etc. Her argument was that that sign essentially said everybody else around here in this neighborhood does hate all of those people and that you will not tolerate people who do not have the sign. Her argument was that a sign that says hate has no home here was tantamount to saying, in my home, we don't hate, unlike in that other home down the street where they do hate, and I hate them. And as I tell that story, you might be sitting here going, oh my gosh, that's crazy how paranoid somebody could feel that way. What's going on? And you might even laugh, or, or you might be going, exactly. You might think every time I see a yard sign like that or a pride flag or a, a Black Lives Matter sign, that is a way of somebody saying that, that, that they care about people and they love people and I don't. And that feels intolerant of me. And as I've said before when we've talked about this stuff, this is why we can't have nice things, you guys. <laughs> because, because even our expressions of love or our expression of the desire to not hate is viewed as suspect and sometimes our lack of expression is viewed as suspect. It seems to me we got a big problem as a nation. There's incredible disagreement over the right thing to do on any topic. Inflation, climate change, taxes, forgiveness of school loans, abortion, immigration. And by, by the way, disagreement over the right thing to do, the right policy, that's not new. But what's happening right now incredible villainization toward those you disagree with. So much so that we are suspicious of each other's motives and each other's hearts. And can I, can I tell you what I've seen in Christianity at large over the last years in ways I've never seen before? Suspicious over each other's faith. Um, I'm no longer on Facebook. By the way, if you message me there, I will never get it. I just keep it so I can log into things. But uh, the reason I left in 2016 was during the election, I watched friends of mine suggest that, that if you voted for Hillary Clinton, you could not be a Christian. Your faith was not real, or, or your church was clearly not teaching you the Bible. And, and then I would go to the next post, right down underneath it, and a different friend would say, if you are voting for Donald Trump, you cannot be a Christian. Your faith is not real, and your church is not teaching you the Bible. All of the same kind of rhetoric, and as a pastor, it would make me sick to my stomach. Really physically ill, to watch people whose conviction, convictions were certainly uh, steered by their faith villainize others who shared the, the same faith, but with different convictions. 
There is a demonization thing, even a dehumanization thing that has been happening in our country that goes beyond politics, voting, policy. And, and can I suggest to you, the church collectively has let itself get caught up in this. Christians have been told from either side of a political battle that the way of Jesus is their way. Jesus is on their side. And if the way of Jesus is on my side, then I have got to be against the other way because I'm with Jesus. And that means, that means, you ready? You've got to be against people who are on the other side. Because if Jesus is on my side, then he must be against you way over there. And, and, and people have been feeding a steady diet of this kind of talk to Christians for years, years. And you know why? Because they want to win. And the only way to win is to get you to agree with them. And the best way to get you to agree with their side is tell you your faith forces you to be on this side as opposed to the other side. And the people on the other side, that person, that issue, that set of people is our enemy. All right, part of the reason it feels like the boat is rocking and we're all gonna go overboard, it's not because we disagree. It's because I've been told that I'm not supposed to like you. And I've been told that you're against me. And I've been told that you're going to ruin us. And if you don't agree with me, you are my enemy. Oh, and I've been told that God is on my side, which means that God is against you too. And since I'm on the side of good and you're on the side of evil, it's okay for me to say whatever I need to say about you or, or groups of people who disagree. Whatever it takes to win, because if I win, then good wins. God wins. As if, as if God needs your help to win. As if God hasn't already won. Somebody once said, you can safely assume that you've created God in your own image when it turns out that God hates all the same people that you do. Oh, man, I think there's something to that. Let me say it again. You can safely assume you created God in your own image when it turns out that God hates all the same people you do. Now, what does any of this have to do with you being so loved? All right, let me show you the second instance of that phrase, the only other instance of that phrase in the Bible. It is in 1 John uh, if week one was God so loves you, he would give his life. 1 John 4, 11 says this. Dear friends, since God so loved us, let's read this last part together. We also ought to love one another. All right, if you were here last week, you remember we said that God so loved that, that something, that the cross. But this verse kind of goes back a little bit. It continues it, but it kind of gives us some context. It says, instead of God so loved that, this time it says, since God so loved. Since, meaning because. All right, because God loved you, so loves you so deeply, and I, and I would add widely, you ought to love one another. Okay, great, no problem. What does this have to do with hate? I love my neighbor as myself. I love people. I'm generous. I go to a church that has tiny homes for unhoused. Uh, I marched in a rally after George Floyd's killing. I marched in a different rally for the unborn. You might even hear, uh, I, I, you might even say, I heard a pastor once say that love is not just a feeling, it's your actions. And I have a lot of actions of love chalked up on my love resume. And I'm not just all talk. I go do love. And, and you know what? If you say all that, you're right. You do. But fortunately... Fortunately, in 1 John 4, where we just read so loved, the author does not leave us kind of guessing about what it means to love one another. This author actually defines it 
And can I tell you, he doesn't mention tiny homes or changing a flat tire for somebody who's a stranger or going to a rally or any of that. First John, a few verses after he tells us that since we are so loved, we should love one another, he says this. Whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they've not seen. And he's given us this command. Anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. Okay, First John defines what it means to love one another. And it's not just all the good deeds that you do that feel loving. He defines it as not hating. Ooh, that was different. I think somebody might have, oh, there we go, okay, okay. Sometimes if, if we lean up against a wall in here, things happen. Okay, now, uh, wait a second. I just said he defines love as not hating, and you might go, wait a second, wait a second, Chris. Uh, uh, how do I know that you didn't just pull this one random verse right here, verse 20, out of context, and make that the definition of love, not hating? Okay, how do you know? Because 1 John 2, 9. Anyone who claims to be in the light but hates a brother or sister is still in the darkness. Isn't it crazy there was a verse about darkness and that happened? Weird. All right. 2.11. Look at this one. But anyone who hates a brother or sister is in the darkness and walks around in the darkness. They don't know where they're going because the darkness has blinded them. If you hate a brother or sister, you're in darkness. Check out 3.15. 1 John 3.15. Anyone who hates a brother or sister is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life residing in him. And look. 1 John commonly described as the love book. It is all about love and walking in the light, and it is, it is the love book. But what very few people tell you is that when it describes what it is to love and walk in the light, it describes it as not hating the people around you. And, and here's the message of the Bible, the New Testament. God's love is so wide for all sorts of people. It is so wide, it is as wide as it is deep that your love should be as wide too. And, and if you say, hey, my love is only as wide as this little group of people who think like me and act like me and vote like me and have faith like me and live in my country and speak my language and agree with me, and, and actually, here's another way to say it. My love is only as wide as those who are for me, not against me. If you say my love has limits to its width, then you do not know how wide God's love is. That even it would include love for you. And first John says, if you think that way, then you just must not, must not know how much God loves you. Because when you understand how wide God's love is for you, you find that you can love a wide spectrum of people. Now, every Christian I know thinks of themselves as a pretty loving person fair, open-minded, willing to love, and yet, you and I have both met some pretty hateful, mean, unchrist-like Christians, haven't we? You don't have to point fingers at them right now, but you've met a few. And I wonder, I wonder if Jesus sometimes looks at us and says, how did you miss it? Like, were you not in the room the time that I taught I so loved you and then I went to the cross? 
Did you not see that I had tax collectors and zealots in my squad of 12 disciples? Did you, not, did you not see me forgive a person caught in adultery and at the same time go to dinner at a Pharisee's house because I like hanging out with both people? Did you not remember the story I told about the Samaritan who showed love for his dying neighbor when the people of his own kind passed him by? Were you absent the day that I said love your enemies? How did you miss that my love is so wide, it's wide enough to include everyone, and your love should be that wide too? And, and the truth is, you didn't miss it. But the noise in this world is constantly telling you the opposite of what Jesus said. The news, the, the media, the social media posts, politicians, politicians will tell you that everyone is your enemy but them and that they're sticking up for you, and join them, and, and, and they will shrink the width of who you're supposed to love. And God says again, since you are so loved, you are supposed to love everyone. Love widely. Hate, hate is shrinking the group down to loving just those people who look like you. I, I wanna spend the rest of our time giving you three ways to know that you are in danger of hate, that you're moving towards hate. Because here's the thing, our minds have a way of justifying and telling us, I'm loving, I'm incredibly loving. It's the other people that hate. So how do you know? There, there it goes again. <laughs> how can you know whether you are doing an honest assessment and crossing over into that? All right, let me give you some danger signs, all right? The first danger sign is when you start appraising other people as evil. All right, think about that. Hate starts with an appraisal. Hate starts with an appraisal that a person or a group of other people are evil. Oh my gosh, stuff's <laughs> flying around. Oh, good idea, Sophia. Yeah, let's open up those things and so that way if it goes off again, there'll still be a little bit of light. All right, hate starts with an appraisal that other people or another group of people are evil. Now, let's, what, what do I mean by that? When I start looking at people that I disagree with or who are different than me, and I think of them as bad people. All right, I, I don't know how many of you have watched this recent Ken Burns documentary series that was on PBS like a week or two ago. Uh, it's called The U.S. and the Holocaust. Did anybody see that besides me? I'm about halfway through it. I got, I got a little bit more to go. But, but the degree to which Hitler was able to sway so many Germans and other people against Jewish people by labeling them as evil, it was shocking to think that this happened within the last hundred years. The Nazis saw Jews as the source of all evil, disease and, 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 and social injustice and cultural decline. In their minds, things that they thought of as evil like capitalism or communism, it's no wonder hate came on the back of that teaching. Somebody teaches you, tells you, could be on the radio, this could be in the news, could be a terrible faith system you've been a part of that somebody else or some other group of people are evil. And so much of this appraisal of other people is taught or it's caught, but even when it's not, you might still decide somebody else or another group is evil. Why? Well, not that hard to understand. If you intentionally wrong me, or you unintentionally wrong me, or if you keep me from something that I want, something I've worked hard for, or if you do something to other people that I think is wrong or unjust, of course I'm gonna see you as evil. All right, that first danger sign sounds extreme, but easy for us to fall into that more than we think. Now, real quick, research has shown 
Hate spreads and increases faster if it's at a whole group rather than at an individual. Do you know that? Because with a person, my hate might be countered with empathy or I might reappraise a person after I see them do something good. I see good in them. My hate dissipates a bit. But if I can label a group as evil, um, if candidate A calls candidate B supporters a basket of deplorables, and if candidate B calls people against him human scum, when you appraise a group as evil or you, you, you fall for somebody else doing that, when you buy into somebody else's rhetoric that all of those people are evil or, or most of those people, all right, that is a good start on the road to hate. The second sign, the second sign is when your anger isn't just about what somebody does, but it's about who they are. All right, look, you have a right to be angry sometimes. You, you know you actually do. It doesn't mean everybody should be angry with you, but you have a right to your anger. All right. When 1 John says, if you claim to love God and you hate someone, you're a liar, it is not talking about you being angry. Uh, can I tell you the difference between anger and hate? Because it's easy to get confused on this. I am angry at someone because of what they did. I hate someone because of who or what they are. The second sign is when your anger moves from what somebody did over to who they are. Uh, by the way, I'm not saying it's good to live in anger all the time. You're going to want to do something about that too, eventually. But anger is an emotion. It's going to happen sometimes. Hate, not simply an emotion, it is a choice. All right, third sign, when you let resentment go unchecked. Hate can rise out of our resentment. Um, Max Lucado, a great Christian author, he wrote this. He says, resentment is when you let your hurt become hate. Resentment is when you allow what is eating you to eat you up. Resentment is when you poke, stoke, feed, fan the fire, stirring the flames and reliving the pain. Resentment is the deliberate decision to nurse the offense until it becomes a black, furry, growling grudge. That is good. Resentment can start with hurt. Legitimate hurt that you feel, and then it can turn to hate. And I wonder, I wonder if part of what's happened in our world today is we get a steady diet of people and candidates and organizations and media and posts and tweets, all of these things feeding our resentment as if we don't have enough already. And we find ourselves nursing whatever offends us to the point that we can't, we can't help but hate. And again, it is mind-blowing to me that this happens among God's people who were very clearly told the greatest commandments to love God and love others. Yet, obviously not a new problem because 2,000 years ago, the author of 1 John reminding people they're supposed to be loving one another said, I don't think you're doing love right. You cannot say you love and then still hate. Did you miss the part about God's wide love for you? About four years ago, the police chief in Union City, not too far away from here, right, Union City, he had been speaking at a, at a public forum about preventing hate violence, this police chief, and actually, he was speaking to the members of the Sikh community in Union City, trying to engage them in strategies to avoid violence that might happen to themselves because there'd been an outbreak of violence. And he got done speaking, just a few hours later, he discovered that his 18-year-old son had just been involved in a hate crime. Uh, his son, his own son, for some reason was out in Manteca with another friend and they were arrested for beating a 71-year-old Sikh man. And so the next day, this chief went on the Union City Facebook page, Union City Police Department Facebook page, 
And he posted this. He said, it is not that often that I find myself sharing with the general public issues that pertain to my personal family life. I feel it is a must that this be one of those rare occasions. And then he recapped the attack that his son did. And then he continued, I am completely disgusted in sharing with you that, that later yesterday evening, I received a call from the Manteca PD that the suspect in this horrific crime turns out to be my 18-year-old son. How embarrassing must that be? How disconcerting as a parent must it be? How deeply sad, how tragic must it be as a father to devote your life to stopping hate, preventing hate, and have the one who commits the hate crime turn out to be your son. And I, I wonder if this is what God must feel. To be a God who would so love us that he would give his life like while we were still sinners, still evil, knows what's evil about us, he would give his own life and then we would act as if we do not know that love. So, can we get practical? What is the best thing you can do to not hate? It is really simple. It's really simple, but incredibly hard. It is to listen to and seek to understand people who are different than you. Listen and seek to understand people who are different than you. Think different than you, worship different than you, are ethnically different than you, vote different than you, follow Jesus different than you, believe different than you, interpret and apply the Bible different than you, manage COVID different than you. It is to listen to and seek to understand people who are different than you. And look, I'm not, I'm not even saying you got to embrace all those differences. You, you might listen to and understand and not admire everything you see, although I think there's some differences are worth embracing. But if we're, if we're going to be people who love, like if we're going to be the most loving people on the planet, because we know we are so loved by God, wide love, since we are so loved, then the way that we love people that our echo chamber tells us that we should hate is we listen and seek to understand. And, and I, I should say this, I don't listen and understand so that I can convince you of my way and convert you to my way. That's not love, that's strategy. I listen and I seek to understand somebody I disagree with because when I listen and understand, it reminds me that they are human and they are loved too. I don't know how many of you have heard of Westboro Baptist Church. This is a small church out of Topeka, Kansas, that for many years, for many years, they had a pastor named Fred Phelps before he died. And, and this church was known for picketing funerals of American soldiers because of the church's stance on war. Uh, you've probably seen them in the news. They would also publicly celebrate natural disasters and, and tragedies because uh, they viewed those things in, as an expression of God's judgment. And they would tell people, this happened because God hates us, uh, or hates you, doesn't hate us, they would say. They were also expressly anti-gay, telling people, if you were part of the LGBT community, God hates you. Well, Megan Phelps Roper, who, who, who is the granddaughter of that pastor, uh, she had been on the picket line since she was five years old with this church, holding up these kinds of signs and ones that are worse. This was her life. This is what she knew. She was really taught hate. In 2012, she was on Twitter, and she was zealously debating people on Twitter, which it seems like that's most of what Twitter is for. And uh, something happened that changed her mind and her heart. She said, people that I had sparred with on Twitter 
would come to the picket line to see me when I protested in their city. And we started to see each other as human beings and it changed the way we spoke to one another. And it took time, but eventually those conversations planted seeds of doubt in me. And I'll tell you, eventually she left that church. In fact, her family, her friends never spoke to her again. And she was worried when that happened that she would be shunned by the rest of the world, people she had expressed so much hate for. And she wrote, she wrote this, I wanted to hide from the world I had rejected for so long. People who had no reason at all to give me a second chance after a lifetime of antagonism. But instead, what she found, she found love from people. Okay, she comments on today's political divide and the tone of, of the world today and, and the villainization that goes with it. Here's what she says, she says this, I remember this path we're on. It will not take us where we wanna go. We have to talk and listen to people we disagree with. And I will always be inspired to do so by those people I encountered on Twitter, apparent enemies who became my beloved friends. They came to me with pointed questions tempered with kindness and humor. And they approached me as a human being and that was more transformative than two full decades of outrage, disdain, and violence. If you humanize someone, it helps you and them stop hating. Crosswinds, I love that I get to be a part of a church that is committed to this. I know, I know that for the most part, I'm preaching to the converted today. For the most part. Some of you, I'm hoping you come around. Even if, even if you agree with everything I said today, truth is, it is hard. It is hard in today's culture to not slip into hate. In fact, as long as you keep denying that you have it, you can't do anything about it. And hate, in the words of Martin Luther King, it eventually becomes too great a burden to bear. You do not want to live a life filled with contempt for other people, not just individuals, but groups of people, people who disagree with you. That is not God's purpose for you. He's got a better purpose for you than that. And some of you, you've been living that way for a long time. And it's made you mean and jaded and not much fun to be around. And it's broken up friendships and it's broken up marriages, literally, where two people are on opposing sides politically who've been told that the other side is the enemy and they ask, how can I stay married to the enemy? And it's broken families. I see adult children who do not talk to their parents anymore because they disagree and the other side has been so villainized and it has broken churches, not here. We will not do that here. Here, we believe that God's love is so wide that it even includes me and you. All right, will you stand with me? Let's pray together before we go. And God, I just wanna thank you this morning. I wanna thank you that you did not just tell us to go love one another and leave it general, generic, and cloudy. You made it very clear that yes, it is helping the person on the side of the road, and yes, it is loving those who've hurt you, but it is also not hating. Not hating. God, you made it so clear. I love that you have made that very, very clear for us. And God, I love that I get to be a part of a church who takes that so seriously that even as we speak, there's a group of people who at this church have said, we wanna be about peacemaking and, and lead our church in that kind of an effort. And so, God, I would just ask 
that you would give us the wisdom and the, and, and the ability to see in ourselves. God, would your Holy Spirit convict us of where we might slip into this kind of hateful thinking? And when it does, would you remind us that we are so widely loved by you? Make this a place that so widely loves everyone. And all God's people said, Amen. Thank you for coming today. Hey, if you want to be prayed for today, if you've got something going on, our pastors and elders will be down front. And then if you're newer, you want to meet me or Mike, we're going to be out at the Connection Corner. All right, thanks again. <laughs>